I too have stood at Anworth and looked at the memorial to some of the martyrs. I've been to the Solway Firth in Scotland and I thought of the two women, an older woman and a younger woman, chained to a stake, two stakes. The younger woman first as the tide came in, the older woman first, and then the younger woman, hoping the younger woman would recant when she saw the older woman first die. There's a painting in an art gallery, the Lever Art Gallery near Liverpool. I've stood and looked at it. It's called the Solway Martyr. The young woman with her long hair and the chains about her chest tied to the stake as the tide came in. You know, beloved saints, we may face days yet that are even more testing and will need all the grace of God to hold fast our confession of the hope. Now, I want you to read with me just one passage, please, in 1 Corinthians and chapter 3. I would invite you again, if you will, to keep your Bible open, please. First Corinthians and chapter 3. Commencing to read at verse number 5. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believe, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building according to to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man or let each man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try each, every or each man's work 
of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Know ye not? Incidentally, it is very interesting in this epistle, ten times Paul uses his expression, Know ye not. It was really a rebuke to them, a challenge to them. Verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now, that will do for the reading, and we're going to look at some of the detail, and I might want to make a reference or two back to chapter 1. Now, I'll tell you what's upon my heart for this part of this session. I want to speak to you about God's assembly. Lies very dear to my heart. And there's actually this little passage that we have read together is brimful of lessons for us in regard to the assembly. For example, let me explain what I mean just for a moment. Between the first description here in these verses we've read together of the assembly, I'm thinking of verses 9 through to 11. First description, we'll come to it in a moment. And then the latter description, verses 16 and 17. Now, before those two, between those two descriptions of the assembly, that is verses 12 to 15, here's what we have. We have our input to the assembly. What we are putting into the assembly. And very solemnly in the same section, and we look at this, we have an assessment, a review of our input to the assembly. And that will happen at the judgment seat of Christ. So dear brother, dear sister, in regard to your role in God's assembly, and very much this is particularly maybe true of those of us who go before and teach the word of God, it is very solemn. Everything that I do in relation to God's assembly and all that I teach will come up for review at the judgment seat of Christ. I I really want to learn some lessons here today that I hope will help you and help us all in regard to the assembly, the local church, the assembly. Now, the first thing, the sitting on the surface and that we need to get a hold of, if we're going to be any good and have any worthwhile contribution to make to the assembly is this. Number one, it's God's assembly. That's fundamental. It's actually sitting here, if you care to look at it. It's just sitting on the surface of the verses we've read together. For example, if you look there at verse number uh, verse number 6. I have planted a policy, but God. But God gave the increase. And again, look at the end of verse 7. But God gave the increase. Again, look at verse number 9. We are laborers together with God. And particularly look in verse 9. Ye are God's husbandry. That's a, de- a definition and a description of the assembly. You're God's tilled ground. God's looking for fruitfulness in the assembly. 
And then again in the same verse 9, ye are God's building. You just look at verse 10. Verse 10. According to the grace of God. In other words, there's a great stamp of God upon each assembly. Now, if we're going to build into the assembly, we need to recognize that. I mean, how does it begin this letter? It's addressed to the church of God. Oh yeah, it's God's assembly. The church of God, which is at Corinth. That's exactly how he begins the second epistle. The church of God, which is at Corinth. He was leaving these Corinthians who were not behaving well in this first letter. That's why it's primarily known as a letter of correction. The second epistle, we took a different lab down at Hickory a few days ago. In the second epistle, it's primarily an epistle of comfort. But you see, they weren't behaving right at Corinth. They were not recognizing sufficiently that it was God's assembly. I tell you, that would make you sit up and behave. If we could get a grasp of this, that it's, it's God's assembly. You see, when Paul arrived at, arrived at Corinth with the gospel and his fellow laborers, well, really, you know, there was the Jewish synagogue. The Jews and they had their synagogue. The Gentiles, they had their pagan temple. When he left, there was an assembly of God. Very, very interesting. That's why in chapter 10 and verse 32, he says, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, with their synagogue, the Gentiles, with their temple, nor to the church of God. He's leaving them no mistake that the assembly belongs to God. Young man, as you work in God's assembly, please never forget that. You just can't do as you please. I'm not saying you would, by the way. Not for a moment I'm saying you would. But we cannot do as we please, because it's God's assembly. That's why in chapter 11, he finished the great section in headship. Verse 16, what does he write? If any man seem to be contention, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. All the assemblies belong to God. They would never have been there if it hadn't been for God. Their spiritual preservation is very dependent on God. Their spiritual growth, we've read it, God giveth the increase. It's very interesting also in this section dealing with the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we mustn't ever forget, in verse 22 is it, they were behaving so badly, some of them drunk at the Lord's Supper. You know what he said? Despise ye the church of God. They had failed to recognize the gravity of it, that it's God's assembly. Now, that's the first thing that is absolutely essential if you're going to be a builder. A builder into God's assembly. Let's look a little bit further, please. That's the first prerequisite. If you're going to be any good in God's assembly and any help. Now, the next thing I want you to notice is, and mind you, this is searching for all of us. Do you know what we need? We need a proper estimation of self. You see, here's what I want to say to you. It's a very interesting thing, really. Do you know what you need to build into God's assembly? You don't need a large head, but you need a large heart. And that's why in the second epistle he writes to them, Our heart is enlarged. You need a big heart, not a big head. Big heads cause trouble in the assemblies. Anyway, I have a daughter, you know, and we have a daughter. My wife's here, so we have a daughter. And I have a big head. I hope not in the sense that I'm talking, but physically I have a big head. And dear lover, she has difficulty. She says, Dad, my head's like yours. I can hardly get a hat to fit me. 
Good job she's not here. She'll be saying, Dad, you shouldn't have said that. But anyway, leave that. Not to worry about it. We need a large heart if we're going to be any good in God's assembly. Now, I want us to, to think of this. Just look at these verses that we have read together so that I can emphasize this to you. We'll look at chapter 2 for a moment first. Chapter 2 and verse 3. Chapter 2 and verse 3. For I, Verse 3. I was with you in weakness. Oh, we don't, we don't want a weak man. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. That's the man God could use. He wasn't suffering from big-headedness. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Look again now at chapter 3. Back to our chapter. Look at verse 5. I love this. Who then is Paul? He didn't want his name in neon lights. Not at all. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? He's not suffering from large-headedness. Look again, please. Who then is Paul? And who then is Apollos? Now look with me, please, at verse number 6. I have planted. That was true. He's only stating a fact. Apollos watered. That's true. But God, Paul will not have the credit coming to him. It was God who gave the increase. And then I, I, I just love, I love verse 7. And this is underscoring what I'm trying to speak to you about. A proper attitude toward yourself. A proper estimation of self. So then, neither is he that planteth anything. Oh, beloved saints, I would to God I could get right here. Neither is he that planteth anything. Neither he that watereth. The verse comes to my mind that no, in the end of chapter 3, that no man should glory or no flesh should glory in his presence. Who then, neither is he that planteth anything. Dear brother, dear sister, if you're going to be a help in God's assembly, you remember this, don't get too big an estimation of yourself. Paul says, neither is he that planteth anything. You know, I, would, I will meet the Apostle Paul one day, but I'm not fit to hold that man's coat. He was so mighty for God. But he says, I'm nobody. That's the man God used. He writes to the current, the same epistle, chapter 15. He writes, I'm the least of the apostles. But Paul, come on. You're mighty, you, you actually said. I labored more abundantly than them all. And then he immediately, he puts in a little caveat to that. I labored more abundantly, but not I. But the grace of God that was with me. Notice that? Chapter 15, verse 9. I think The grace of God that was with me. Look here at this verse number 9. Verse number 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me. In other words, even all he did, he just put the whole glory back to God. Now, that's, what, that's the sort of individual that God can use even today. I love it. Neither is he that planteth anything. Neither he that... Neither he that watereth. He's got a proper estimation of himself. I think of Galatians 6 and 3. If a man think of himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. Now, if a man comes to the assembly, the assembly which you form a part, and he thinks himself to be something, God help you all. You'll have a headache likely before he leaves. 
He'd be doing that much self-elevation. He thinks himself to be something when he's nothing. He deceiveth himself. Paul writes to Romans 12 and verse 3, this says, by, notice please, the grace that is given unto me to every man that is among you, that no man should think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Proper estimation of self. You know, I'm going to tell you, if, if we're getting more into the sanctuary of God and just the ministry we've listened to, you know what I was thinking? Of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. That's the sort of person we need to make input to God's assembly. Do you know why? They'll be putting nothing of self in. If they're meek and lowly in heart, they'll be giving the credit to God. Now, I've got to leave that. First requirement, if you're going to be any good, at putting into God's assembly, is you recognize it as God's assembly. Second requirement, you get a proper estimation of self. Now, that's essential before the next one. You see, there's one thing that Paul had, this man that God used, he had a proper recognition of others. Have you got that now? A proper recognition of others. You got it here, in these verses. Do you see what he said in verse 6 again? I have planted Apollos. I love this. Apollos watered. Oh, you didn't do it all yourself, Paul? No, 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 no. I, I did the plant. I was there at the planting. But Apollos came along and he did the watering. You remember we're thinking you're God's husband, he tilled ground. That's one thing. Would you put in a garden plot, would you? In a hot climate and leave it and think it'll grow. Would you not go back and water it? It needs to be watered. Well, Paul says, I may, have done, I may have done the planting, but Apollos watered. And, Paul, and look again, please. I want you to notice verse number 9. Uh, no, verse number 8. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Well, I love this. You see, in other words, Paul had his role. Apollos had his role. But beloved saints, there was oneness in what they were doing. They weren't working at sixes and sevens with each other. Oh no, the one, the work of the, of the one was complementary to the work of the other. That's the way it should be in the assembly. No room for jealousy. And I want you to notice again, please. Verse 9. We are laborers together. Notice please, with God. It's not that interesting. They were actually laborers together with themselves, but and, and, and also we are laborers together with God because we can't do it without God. Not at all. Wow, where would we be if God wasn't in it? This conference would be dull if God isn't in it. We are laborers together. Imagine. Imagine laboring with God. The wonderful stuff. Now, I'm still thinking of this business of others because it just is so important. I think of Philippians 2 and 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. See, you've got to get that. You see, if you don't get the right estimation of yourself, you're not going to get the next bit right. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. 
That's proper recognition of the other. But you can't do it without lowliness of mind in yourself. The Bible's a great book. I was thinking, we're hearing a bit about some of these folk of former days and so on. I was saying to some of them somewhere here that that wonderful book, Thinking Black, our dear brother, and do you know what he, Dan Crawford, do you know what he said? If a man or a person would go out to Africa as a missionary, they had to be good stupors. He said they had to be humble enough and low enough to get into an African hut. The huts he was talking about, huts where you, you couldn't get in through the opening without getting down. Oh, beloved saints, in the work of God, you'll get up by getting down. The proper, isn't it very interesting? Now, I may be wrong in this figure. I think I'm right, but you know in Romans 16, I'm talking about recognition of others. You know, Paul, if I remember correctly, he mentioned 27 other people. He wasn't doing it all himself. Some people think that the work of God would collapse if they died tomorrow. Well, I want to tell you, it doesn't collapse. Moses, my servant, is dead. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee, said the Joshua. The work of God will go on. Now, I don't want to stay too long with that. But let me give you the antithesis of what I'm talking about. Recognition of others. You go to Third John, there's a man called Diotrephes. He loveth to have the preeminence among them. There wasn't much humility about that man. And you know what he was doing? I'm, I'm speaking literally, he was doing it. He was wrecking God's assembly. Imagine refusing to receive the Apostle Paul or his Apostle John. And those who would receive me just chucked them out of the assembly. That's not the way you be. Listen, he, he knew nothing about it. I wonder if the man was saved. And I know I'm, in, I'm in recorded, but I don't mind saying that. I often wondered if Diotrephes was ever saved. What a cavalier, hostile attitude to have in God's assembly. Now, let, let's keep moving. I'd like to stay more of those things, but the time goes so quickly. Now, I want you to come to verse 10. The word here, you get it nowhere else in the New Testament. We're coming now to the building. It's God's building, don't forget. Now, verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. It's a bit like our word for architect. But uh, notice this sort of adjective, as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation. Now, notice, please. I want you to observe this. You have the word foundation in verse 10. Look at verse 11. For other foundation. You have the word foundation in verse 11. Come to verse 12. If any man build upon this foundation. He puts great stress on the foundation of the assembly. But here's what I want you to notice first. Come with me in a very quick journey. I know most of your Bibles will Chapter 1 and we'll just pick up a few references very quickly. Because I can't really spend too long on it. Look at verse 17. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now notice, please, not with wisdom of words. Now this was the wise master builder. Not with wisdom of words. Look at verse 19. Uh, we're, now we're in chapter 1, please. 
Um, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. So with the wisdom of words in 17, with the wisdom of wise in verse 20, verse, uh, verse 19, now verse 20, where is the wise? Look at the end of verse 20. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So with the wisdom of words, the wisdom of the wise, now with the wisdom of this world. For after that God, after that and the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Now verse 24 is very important. For unto them, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God. Now look at these words. And the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. Now, I'd like to read a lot more there, but we must read verse 30 of chapter 1. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. I'm, I'm just stopping there, for that's the particular term I want. Now, verse 1 of chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellence of speech or of wisdom. Of wisdom. Verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom, verse 6, among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world. I'm trying to stress that for you. Verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God. Come away down to the end of chapter 3, or toward the end of chapter 3. Now, verse 18, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise... In this world, let him become a fool. That's in the eyes of the world. That he might be wise. That's in the sight of God. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Now we'll pause there. Now I want, here's what I want you to observe, brethren and sisters. This is of vital importance. Do you know that between chapter 1 and verse 17, and chapter 3, well I just didn't quite read it all, but chapter 3 and right down to verse 20, between 1 and 17 and 3 and 20, I think it's 27 reference to, references to the theme of wisdom. And this is the wise, the wise master builder. Now, I want to tell you what he did. And if we're going to build into God's assembly, we need to follow. He took the wisdom of words. He took the wisdom of men. He took the wisdom of this world. And he jettisoned them all because they have no part in God's assembly. Let's come back to the foundation. Verse 10 of chapter 3. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. You look at verse 11 in that context, please. For all our foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Oh, that's interesting. He laid the foundation on the, in regard to the assembly at Corinth, and that foundation was Jesus Christ. Ah, who's he? He's the wisdom of God. Who is he? He's made unto us wisdom. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. In whom, that's in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I want to say to you, beloved saints, we don't need the wisdom of this world and we don't need the wisdom of words. We don't need the wisdom of the wise because the very foundation of the assembly is the one in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
Now, what would this world tell you? Let's make this practical now. I look at these beloved sisters with their heads covered. Do what the world would say. Tut, tut. Mother would. They would look down their nose at it. They would say we're in days of equality between the sexes. And, and that's just crazy. My friend, that's the wisdom of the world. We have the wisdom of God. The world would say, ha, ha. I've sat here all morning and there's all you speakers are male. What does the wisdom of God say? Let your woman keep silence in the churches. Thank God for our sisters. Thank God for each one of them who will own the truth of headship, who will own the truth of silence in the churches. And they're making such a mighty contribution to the testimony of God. We put... Now, some of you, you're not liking this. If I go home and get cross, I go home and tell my mommy, well, I can't act this in heaven. But I'm telling you what the Bible teaches. We do not need the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of the wise or the wisdom of men. It's the wisdom of God. And Christ has made unto us wisdom. So doesn't Paul do a good job in laying the foundation which is Jesus Christ? Did you know in the first nine verses of this letter... The first nine verses have the Lord mentioned nine has the Lord mentioned nine times. That's very important. He's very prominent in, the, in, in well, he's prominent in every letter. Now let's keep moving, please. Now here's what I want you to come to next. So the foundation's laid. The foundation of God's assembly and it's God's assembly is Jesus Christ. Now what are we doing? Where well, we're coming along? I heard this is what is your seventy third conference or something like that. I hope I'm right and not misquoting the, the actual correct number. But um, do you know the amazing thing is, before any of you were ever here, the foundation was still Jesus Christ, generation before us. But I'll tell you what we're doing. We're building in. And I want to say to the beloved saints of God, what you build into the assembly has to take character from the foundation. I was brought up on a farm, and the house is now list, a listed building, if you please, under architectural heritage, a lovely house. Now, the people that are in it wanted to make some improvements, but they weren't permitted to make any improvement that wasn't in keeping with the original character of the house. Now, dear brother, dear sister, don't try to make changes in the assembly that are not in keeping with the original character. That <laughs> won't do. won't do at all. It'd be out of character with the foundation, and you can't have that. Now, I want you to notice building... Now, look, please. Paul says... Um, I want to get this, uh, this building uh, there onto. That is on the foundation. Now, if you notice, please, in verse 10, at the end of the verse, um, as a wise... Well, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereupon. Oh, yes. Others are coming along and building. That's what we're having at this conference. Building. I take the primary idea, by the way, is teaching. It's not so much, not so much in this passage, not so much those whom you receive into the assembly. That's very important. Because that should, in fact, those you receive into the assembly should be in keeping with the character of the assembly. But I think it's primarily teaching that's in that view here. The building in, right? Now look again. That's verse 10. Um, Another buildeth their own. And then look at the end of verse 10. 
but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. In other words, you've got to be careful. Christ Jesus Christ is the foundation. If you're going to build in that, what you build should be in character with the foundation. Uh, and look again. Uh, we, um, verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation, that's the third time we have read about people building on the foundation. Look at verse 14. If any man's work abide which he hath built there. That's four times. Four times in these few verses we're reading about others building on the foundation. You know, God always worked with foundations. You know that, don't you? He said to Job in 38 and verse 4 of that book, he says, where wast thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? I don't know how the evolutionists cope with that. <laughs> the place wouldn't be, it wouldn't be hanging together at all if it wasn't, I mean, the earth, if it wasn't for the foundation. And God, God asked Job, where wast thou when I laid the, the foundation of the earth? Isaiah 28, and, and is it verse, verse 6, 16? He said, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. God always works with foundations. Thank God for that. And I look again, and, and um, he writes to Timothy in the second epistle, in chapter 2, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Thank God for that. In Hebrews 11 and 10, Abram looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. God always works with foundations. <laughs> you would be an awful job to build an assembly with no foundation. wouldn't last very long. But try building a house without a foundation. You have that in the Bible, in the teaching of the Lord Jesus. You know that. And, of course, the Bible says, If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? Now, we have a great foundation in God's assembly. Now, I want you to notice, please, this idea of building in. Now, our time is fairly short. But here's what I want you to notice. I said to you between 12 and 15, these verses, that what you build into God's assembly will come up for review at the judgment seat of Christ. So somebody said, well, we'll have to wait to then. No, 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 no. No, you get it right now. You, you don't wait until then. Oh, no, we must get at it now and, and try and get things that will be pleasing to God in regard to the assembly. And then that will be verified and ratified at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let's take a look at this, please. I want you to notice verse number um, 13. Well, no, verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, you see, it's always upon the foundation. Now, we have six materials. We have gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Now, people usually divide those into two groups of three, and that's fair enough. Now, I'm not going to take time. Obviously, I don't have time. Some would say the gold speaks of the deity of Christ. The silver would speak of his redemption work, and the precious stones would speak of his attributes and his beauties. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Go down that road if you want to. I'm making it a wee bit simpler for you today. And here's what I want you to think of now. And I, I do think it is rather important. Um, let's divide them into the, the, the two groups, please. Gold, silver, precious stones. What would you say about those? Well, I'll tell you one thing. They're costly. They're costly. And beloved child of God, it is costly to build into the assembly. You mightn't always be popular. I may not be popular with some of the things I'm saying, but I'll not worry on Julie about that. Um, but it'll be costly in time for you. In time for you. 
Then the next thing about them is they're enduring. Those commodities, those, those materials are enduring and they're incombustible. Put them through the fire and when the fire's gone, they're still there. Now you want to be putting thing, into things into God's assembly that when the judgment seat of Christ comes, still be there. Now the other three, wood, hay and stubble, well, you've got a very expensive wood. I, I know all of that. But, and they're almost like on a descending scale like wood and then you get hay and then you get stubble. I was reared in a farm and I remember the hay. Wow, when it was dried, if we put a match to it, not only would the hay have gone up, the shed would have gone up. But you see, these things here, the wood, the hay and the stubble, well, they're cheap. And they're bulky. And they're um, perishable. And they're combustible. They'll not stand the fire. Now, let's apply that to the judgment seat of Christ. Look, please, at verse 13. Each man's work shall be... There's three words I want you to get a hold of here. And I've taken up the subject of the the judgment seat of Christ for a whole week of ministry. And so I don't have very long here, just a, a few minutes to mention this particular aspect of it. Now, verse 13. Each man's work, it's really each man's work shall be made manifest. Now, in this business of reward, just go back for a moment to verse 8. Back to verse 8. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and each or every each man shall receive his own reward. Rewards at the judgment seat, there'll not be, uh, there'll not be a reward for the assembly of the year. <laughs> no, 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 no. You may have that things you got at schools and, and that sort of thing. No, but here's what it'll be. It'll be individual rewards. No collective awards, no group awards, individual awards. So each man shall receive his own reward according, notice please, to his own labor. In verse 8, it's not his gift. Why would he be rewarded for a gift since God gave it to him to begin with? Now, Anyway, let, let's come back to verse 13. Each man's work shall be made, now look at this word please, manifest. You see the next term, the day. I take it that's the day of review, the judgment seat of Christ. The day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed. You have three words here. They're not dissimilar, but they're not the same. You have the word, each man's work, all in verse 13, manifest, declared, and revealed. Manifest, you know what that means? That means open to sight. What will be open then? It will be visible. Then the next word the day shall declare it. That word simply means it'll make it plain. Now, there could be things now. Let's take children's work. Now, I love children's work. And we have a big children's work in the assembly to which we belong in Ballymoney. Now, I'm going to say some, something absolutely before you today. I don't mind illustrations, object lessons. Always have the Bible in your hand at a children's meeting. Or in the Sunday school. Now, I don't mean you don't set it down. I mean, I have my mind sitting here. But what I mean is those kids need to know that we give primacy to the Bible. Yeah, use your objects. I'm not objecting to that. But do you know really what you want to get through to the kids is the Word of God. Because it's the entrance of His Word that gives light. Now, let's, let's come back, please. The day shall declare that is, make it plain. Now, notice what this says next. It shall be revealed. That word means to uncover, to unveil, to bring out. You see, there's going to be nothing hidden at the judgment seat of Christ. And this is borne out by the teaching of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 10 and 26. There is nothing covered, he said, that shall not be revealed. That's the idea of this last word. It's all going to be out in the open. It's all going to be made plain. 
It's all going to be uncovered and revealed. So we should think about those things now in regard to what we're building into God's assembly. Now, I want you to notice something else, please. In this verse 13, it shall be revealed, notice this word, by fire. And then again, and the fire shall try each man's work, what sort it is. Now, first of all, the fire. Mm, That's a big one, isn't it? Is there going to be like a big bonfire at the judgment seat of Christ? I don't quite see it like that. Let me give you three scriptures and then you can think for yourself. Our God, I'm thinking of Hebrews 12 and 29, our God is a consuming fire. I go to the book of Jeremiah 23 and 29. God says, is not my word like a fire? What I build into God's assembly should be in keeping with God's word. And if what I build into the assembly is out of sync with the word of God, the word of God will be brought to bear upon the judgment seat of Christ. Is not my word like a fire? And what about the one we heard about at the beginning of the ministry today, who walks in the midst of those seven golden lampstands? His eyes are as a flame of fire. Do you remember? Do you remember in Luke 22, is it 61 and 62? Peter denied him. Do you know all that the Lord did was he turned and looked upon Peter. Those eyes went through Peter. And Peter remembered the word that the Lord had said about the cock crowing. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, I'm not, going to say I'm not saying there's going to be bitter weeping at the judgment seat of Christ. I would doubt it very much. But that's not the point I'm making. I'm talking about the eyes of Christ. This one who walks in the, His eyes are as a flame of fire. He didn't speak to Peter in that way. He just looked at him. That was enough. Anyway, notice what it says here, very importantly. It says, of what sort it is. That's the end of verse 13. Do you know what that is? That's a qualitative measure. You see, it's not always bulk. Oh, the wood there. Oh, there's a lot of bulk there. But this is a qualitative measure. What sort it is. Do you remember the parable of the pounds in Luke 19? It's not the judgment seat of Christ, by the way. I'm just using it as an illustration. And when, when that householder came back, you know what he wanted to know? Uh, you know, those to whom he had given the pounds. He wanted to know how much. That's a quantitative measure. How much each man had gained. This is a qualitative measure. What sort it is? What's the caliber? What's the spiritual caliber of the work that we're putting into God's assembly? And then very quickly, and I finish. If any man's work abide, well, verse 14, if any man's work abide, which he built thereon, he shall receive a reward. This, this, this judgment seat is about reward. And then again, uh, if any man's, verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. That's loss of reward that he might have had if he had put the right thing into God's assembly. I take it simply, that's all that that means. Uh, he shall suffer loss, and, and uh, the man himself's not going to be burned. There's no problem with that. Let me quote one verse, and I'll step back. Regarding the reward, we've been hearing from John's, uh, very much from John's first epistle. Now I want to mention the second epistle in one verse. Verse 8, look to yourselves that you lose not those things, that we lose not those things that we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. You see, I suppose at this solemn, there will be partial rewards. What I mean by that is some people will lose. 
potential reward because they weren't doing putting into God's assembly that which is wholly profitable. I'm sure, I, I rather suspect the Apostle Paul will get a great reward. Help us. May God help us to labor in regard to the assembly with the beam of the judgment seat of Christ in view. May God bless his word with what has gone before to every heart.